0: So we're in the book of Hebrews, going through the book of Hebrews chapter by chapter and verse by verse as we do at Calvary, gleaning what the Lord has for us. You know, what an amazing thing it is to be able to go through the Bible and, you know, allow the Holy Spirit to teach us His Word, but also apply it to our life. And I, I know the Lord has a message for us tonight. We're going to be in chapter 7 tonight of the book of Hebrews, starting at verse 11. We're going to go on to verse 22, and then say I'm calling change of order, as we'll see as we as we work through this text. Hebrews 7, Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. I was just thinking during the time, Lord, um, time, Lord that we were singing just how complete the ministry of Christ is, and uh, Lord, that he's our king of glory, and that, um, Lord, he reigns. Lord, and as your word says, even though... We don't necessarily see him reign over all things, Lord. Nevertheless, you have placed all things under his feet. And, Lord, we long for that day in which he'll come back and establish his righteous kingdom on this earth. Until that day, Lord, we have a high priest in heaven through Christ in which we can have direct access to him and his grace and his mercy. And, Lord, I know that each one of us tonight needs your grace, Lord, and mercy in our life whether we're in a time of blessing, Lord, or whether we're in a time of struggle or temptation. And Lord, we need that because, um, Lord, we know that the enemy wants to attack. And so, Lord, we want to grow in our faith. And Lord, we know that the only way to do, by, do that, Lord, is by feeding on your word. And so uh, feed us tonight, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you're driving through town and you see a business with a sign that says, Change of Owner, it's pretty clear what that new owner is trying to say, right? They said, yeah, by the way, that old, the, the other person who owned this business, they didn't do anything right. Now, I'm the new owner, and so come in and, and see how I'm doing things right. The sign is to attract people to come in and check out the business. Come and see the new philosophy, right, that the new owner has. The new function and operation of their business. Now, the writer of Hebrews puts out a change of order, Not of owner. God, of course, is is in charge of all things, but a change of order. Look at verse 12. He says, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there also is a change of the law. And so the fact that the order of the priesthood has been changed, it should draw us into the text. What is the writer trying to communicate to us? And he shows us tonight as we work into this text, as we go through it. He's going to say, hey, there's a change of order and there's a reason. I want you to come in and see what the Lord is doing. So let's begin in verse 11 tonight and explore this text. The writer says, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? So the word therefore, it links this passage with the study that we had last week. The writer here is talking about Melchizedek and the priesthood that God said would come from him. He's doing it to show that um, Jesus and his priesthood is greater than Aaron and their priesthood. You see, the Jews in the, in, in their, um, in the first century were, were under a lot of persecution. They were a little, under a lot of stress. And they were thinking maybe about returning back to Judaism to kind of relieve some of their problems. They thought, man, all of our persecutions from our relatives and, and, and our community— it's a, it was a time of Jewish patriotism around 64 A.D. in which the Jews began to revolt against Rome. And they thought, okay, this is the this is the solution. And, and the writer got word of it and exhorted them. He says, no, there is no turning back. There is no going back. You need to press forward in your faith to maturity. There's only one way to go, and that's straight. And there's only one way to look, and that's to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And he was encouraging them over and over and over to show them that, Jesus is greater than anything that Judaism can offer. So he continues this argument now with a second main point. He shows us that while the Jews were under the law, God predicted in Psalm 110.4 that another priest would come. Now he says if Judaism, and when they were under the law, could have brought them perfection through the priesthood that God had given through Aaron then why did he talk about a future priest that would come? He said, so here you guys are under the law, right, in Judaism. And, and connected with the law in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, God gave them the Levites. And they were the way that Israel would worship God and come to God through, you know, through the law and, and through the way that God has established it. But yet while they were under that system, God in Psalm 110 said, hey, by the way, there's going to be another priest to come, and he's going to come after the order of Melchizedek. And so in order to show that Jesus and the Melchizedek and priesthood is greater, he says, well, hey, guys, think about this. If Aaron could have offered you perfection, then why would God have said anything else? Now, perfection here is not referring to sinless perfection, but it's referring, but it's referring to maturity. It's, it's referring to the complete way in which God wanted them to walk. Spiritual maturity is talking about a right relationship with God. And they couldn't have The mature relationship, the complete relationship that God wanted for believers under the law. They couldn't have it. Because the law, the Bible says, pointed us to Jesus. It was a tutor. Now, the word tutor doesn't mean teacher. It means someone who kept and watched over children. That's what Paul says in the book of Galatians. The law was a tutor. It kept Israel in line until the time in which Christ would come. And then they would receive maturity through faith in Christ. And so only through Christ could a believer have the walk that God wanted. Only through Christ could a believer have the forgiveness of sins in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Not through the law, not through coming through the Levitical priesthood. Now this fact should be evident here because Israel was under the law of God, as I said, and God predicted it in Psalm 110.4, that another priest would come. Now notice the word another. It's an important word here. Jesus used a different word, another, in um, John 14. In talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, hey, the Lord, uh, the Father is going to send another comforter in my name, and he'll be with you, and you'll know him. He'll be with you, and he'll be in you. The word that Jesus used for another, there is another of the same kind. So he says, hey, guys, I'm leaving you. I'm going away, but don't fear. Don't worry. But the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. He's just like me. He'll be with you. He'll teach you. He'll empower you. But now the writer who uses a, word, a different word for another. That means another of a different kind. You see, Jesus is a, another of a different kind than the priesthood of Aaron. And we'll see that in, in depth next week as we finish out this chapter. You see, the priests that came from the line of Aaron, they were just men. They had weaknesses. They had to have forgiveness of their own sins. Just like us, they're works in progress. But Jesus, our new high priest, He's another of a different kind. He's perfect. He's holy. He's eternal. He's unchanging. He's absolutely loving and and good. And so this serves as an encouragement for you and I as we press forward. The writer goes on now in verse 12 and says, For if the priesthood be in change of necessity, there is also a change of the law. Simply put, since God predicted that another priest would come not after the order of Aaron... This is evidence that the law was temporary and was no longer in effect for these New Testament believers and for them to walk in the law with God. Let me illustrate this for you. Say a political party in the United States wanted to set a king up in the United States. That would be impossible because our laws forbid that such a king could exist in the United States, right? on the other hand, if our laws, if the laws of our nation had been rendered inoperative, if they are no longer in effect, we could then establish new laws in which we can make it possible for us to have a king, right? And that's what the writer is saying here in the book of Hebrews. He's saying, think about this. God under the law gave them the priesthood under Aaron. And he said, unless you're from the line of Aaron... Unless you're from the tribe of Levi and from the line of Aaron, you cannot be priest. But yet God in Psalm 110 forces, oh yeah, by the way, guys, here's another priest. He's going to live forever. He's going to be of the order of Melchizedek, not from the tribe, not from the line of Aaron. This shows them that the law is no longer in effect and that we are now under a new covenant, as we'll see, which is a covenant of grace. We're under a new law, which is the law of Christ. The command was, you know, for uh, the folks to be from the tribe of Levi and from the family Aaron was enforced by God and was enforced by Israel. We see this in Numbers 16 and 17. Remember that when Korah and his family wanted to be priests? He said, who's this guy Aaron? We want to be priests. We, wanna, we want our family to be priests. And God said, really? He said, bring it out. Bring, bring out your rods. And remember how they were judged by God. They were swallowed up. Also later, as the children of Israel came back from captivity during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, they looked at the genealogies and they said, unless you can trace your line back to Levi and from Aaron, you cannot be priest." And so under the law, it was enforced by God. It was enforced by Israel. But now apparently something has changed. There has been a change in law. God was not enforcing Christ to be a priest under the line of Aaron. And nor was the writer of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying it must be. So it shows us that something happened in our relationship to the law and in God's plan, his his economy, that he deals with us. It goes on, look at verse fourteen, or excuse me, uh, verse thirteen and fourteen. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And so, as I said, Psalm 110.4 is talking about Jesus. And the writer says, and that's clear. He's talking about the Lord. Now, Christ, who fulfilled that prophecy, was not from the line of Aaron. He was from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah were the kings, right? From the line of David, Christ has, you know, the, the fact that he is a, a king of Israel, But also the Bible also called him a priest. And so if the law was still in effect, then Christ could not be priest. It's important to note, those people who try to put you under the law and say, no, you you, you need to follow the Sabbath day, you you know, you need to keep the law, and say, okay, if you're still under the law, then Christ cannot be priest. Plain and simple. Kind of break down their argument, huh? No, and, and that's what the writer is saying here. Moses did not say anything about a person being a priest from the tribe of Judah. They cannot be under the law. But God has established a new way of doing things in, through, through this order of grace. Verse 15, And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. And so now the writer says, okay, well, let's talk about this criteria now. For someone to be a priest. And he contrasted two. First, he talked about the criteria for a person to be a priest under Aaron, under the law. And then he says, okay, well, let's then look at the criteria for a person to be called a priest according to his order of Melchizedek. Verse 15, in talking about the line of Aaron, it says, These people were made priests by a fleshly commandment. Now, a fleshly commandment doesn't mean it was a sinful commandment, it's not, fleshly is not in that sense. Fleshly is referring to human, right? It's it's referring to flesh or or human. A person did not receive the priesthood because they had inherent power or because they were more godly than everybody else. They became priests simply because they were born of the line of Aaron. It was a fleshly way of receiving it. You know, if you're born into this family, if you're from this human line, well, then you're going to be priest. That's the way God has established it. That was the commandment that God has established. But there's a contrast here with the way Christ became priest. Christ became priest because of his his power, the fact that he had an endless life. The word endless here means indestructible. Christ has inherent power to be priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Just another way for the writer to slip in there, by the way, that Christ is greater than anything Judaism can offer or anything Aaron can offer. The endless life of Christ, the fact that he has risen again from the dead and lives in resurrection power, is proof. And it is his criteria for him to be of this order of Melchizedek. Just pause for a second and just think about all these different religions of the world, right? You face people in the world as well as I do. Right? I mean, I talk to people who are Muslims and, you know, and are you know, cultural Muslims and things like that or, or maybe someone who claims to be an atheist or, or claims to be Buddhist or whatever they might be. But think about it. At the end of the day, what hope do they have in what they put their faith in? What hope do they have? They, ha- they really have nothing. They have no proof. They have no, no evidence. Really, they're just going through life hoping right, in, in whatever they, they put their trust in. But the Christian, we look at Christ, and we, and we see him, and we see, wow, he has the power of an endless life. Not only did he predict that he was going to die, but he predicted that he was going to rise again from the dead, and then God proved it by three days later rising Christ, uh, raising Christ again from the dead. And then for a period of 40 days, Christ was on this earth being seen and being touched by people. At one point, he was seen by over 500 people at one time. can't be a hallucination, right? I don't care what kind of drugs they're on, right? It's not, not, I'm just joking. It's not a hallucination. It was a real thing, right? They saw Christ. They, they, they touched him. He ate with them, which was evidence for these disciples and for these believers to press forward. And that fact changed the disciples' life. Yes, they had the indwelling Holy Spirit, which gave them boldness, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ was what made them bold in their faith. They went from hiding in fear to man after the day of Pentecost to the faces of those who put Christ to death and who also could have put them to death. Said, hey, you crucified your Messiah. And they were just struck. They knew that they had been with Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And the same is true for you and I. The more we know Christ, the more we know his scriptures, and the more we know the fact that he's alive, it's gonna affect us. It's going to give us boldness to be able to preach to those people who aren't believers in Christ, right? But it's also going to give us boldness to to press forward. So Christ met this criteria, the fact that he had an endless life. He was of the order of Melchizedek. Look at verse 17. For he testifies, that's God, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So the key word of this verse is forever, forever. Since Christ rose again from the dead, It was a demonstration that he had inherent power to fulfill this prophecy and to live forever. You cannot be of the order of Melchizedek unless you could live forever. And Christ fulfilled that. Now, last week, we saw how the writer mentions this. You see, in the book of Genesis, when you look at the life of Melchizedek and just get it straight from the text, we don't have any mention of the fact that he was born. We don't have any mention of the fact that he died or that his priesthood ended. In a sense, it was this guy, he just came on scene and then nothing ever mentioned him after. And we saw how that's really a picture. He was like Christ in that sense. And the fact that, in a sense, it was like his priesthood just continues on. And so that was all a picture pointing to Jesus. And then later on, God in Psalm 110 said, oh yeah, by the way, I'm gonna give you a passage to support that picture, to, to back it up. And Christ comes along the scene and fulfills that type, that picture, by rising again from the dead. And now he's our high priest. Verse 18 For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The former commandment was annulled, or it was made void. The former commandment, I believe, is talking about that law that said that a priest had to be from the tribe of Levi and from the family of Aaron. This law was rendered void because it was weak. It was unprofitable. And we see this in verse 11, going back to what the writer already started talking about doing. Well, why was it weak? Why was it unprofitable? Well, because it couldn't bring a believer to perfection. It couldn't believe, bring the believer to full maturity in what God wanted to do. It can't give you f- total forgiveness of sins. It can't give you direct access to God and, and his grace. Right? It, it, it can't give you the in pow- indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. It can't sanctify you and, and change you daily as Christ does as you walk with him. But only through Christ could that happen. And God, knowing that, he gave the law Knowing that, he also gave the prophecy and, hey, listen, I'm going to give you something better. And and he pointed to Christ in the future. I love it. He says that through Christ, since these things have been made void, through Christ, we have a better hope. Through Christ, we have a better hope. Well, what is that better hope? Well, the writer's already been talking about this a lot, this hope that we have in Christ. He talked about the rest that we can have. In Jesus, right—the fact that we cease from our works, cease from the works of the law, trying to strive after perfection of God, in which we rest in God and receive His forgiveness and His His—you um, know—the fact that we're justified in His sight. But He goes on in Hebrews 6, 17 to twenty. Let me just read it to you again. He says, "Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel." He confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, that we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And so, man, these believers, they needed some comfort. They needed some encouragement. And the writer says, you guys want hope? You want encouragement? Look to Jesus who is risen again from the dead, the fact that he has entered heaven and he is there dwelling in heaven. Seek him, look to him, and in doing so, it'll be an anchor for your soul and it'll give you power to press forward. Looking back a little further in Hebrews 4.14, the writer says this about our hope in Christ our high priest. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so think about this. In contrast to the law, In contrast to the priesthood that God has established through the law, we now have a better hope in Christ, our risen Savior who's in heaven. We have direct access to him. And he's able to meet us wherever we are in our walk with him. He's able to sympathize with us. He's able to understand it because he also was tempted in every point of us. He's also able to give us grace and mercy for us to press forward. This was a theological argument. It was deep stuff. But nevertheless, it was a practical truth to keep these believers solid in their faith. Yes, the Bible has teaching, and we need to heed that teaching because teaching is important. It helps us to stay founded in our Christian walk. It's not just to puff us up. If God is doing a true work in our life, then that teaching should cause us to grow. Paul wrote to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16 and said, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine Continue in them, for in doing this, you'll save both yourself and those who hear you. And so, you know, doctrine is important. Doctrine just means teaching. It's the teaching of the word. It keeps us founded. It keeps us anchored in in our faith. And as it works in our life, it also gives us power to press forward to maturity. It, It helps us to do so, but also it helps us to be used by God to minister to others. And so, yeah, it's good to hear, a, you know, a, a, a topical sermon, you know, and things like that. Those aren't bad. Those are great. We should. Or to read a, a devotional book. Those are awesome. And we should read those things. But we must also despise the teaching of the word. Because the teaching of the word is what helps us understand God more and keeps us anchored in his truth. So we're not shifted to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But we continue to grow forward, as Paul said in Ephesians 4, to the strong man, right, to the mature man, you know, as our inner man is strengthened day by day through his word. So these teachings right here are to guard us, but they're also to affect us. Verse 20, and insomuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him, who has said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So the priests that inherited the right to be a priest in the Old Testament under the law did so not by an oath, but by the fact that they inherited it based on their genealogy. But Christ is different. God swore an oath, and he said he would not relent to this oath. It's pretty strong, huh? It means the fact that God says, hey, I promise this, and I don't change. I'm not going to repent on this. I'm not going to turn. This is going to happen. And God did. He fulfilled that promise. Christ came and he is our priest forever according to this order of Melchizedek. So here's another criteria. Christ's priesthood is based not only on his endless life, but also on this oath of God. He was declared priest according to this oath. One more verse I want to leave you with in verse 22. The writer really sums up what he's saying here in this change of order. He says, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. So the law was a covenant that God gave Israel. It was a conditional covenant. It began in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. After Israel left Egypt, God took them there to Mount Sinai, and he said, hey, okay, guys, I'm going to make a covenant with you. It's going to be a conditional covenant. If you follow these laws, you'll be blessed. If you disobey these laws, you'll be cursed. That's why it's called conditional And then he signed and sealed that covenant. They shed the animal, and then God sprinkled the blood on the covenant, the law, and then he also sprinkled the blood on the people, meaning that both parties there were responsible, God and Israel, to keep their end of this conditional covenant. Then God made them laws in this covenant. Each one of these laws were a part of this contract that Israel had with God, and they were to relate to him. There's some 613 of those laws. And God said, I want everybody in the world to know that I've made this contract with you, this conditional covenant. And so the way I'm going to show everybody that I made this covenant with you is I'm going to give you a day of the week in which I don't want any work to be done. From sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, the Sabbath day, this is my sign of the covenant that I'm given to you, that I've made a covenant with me and the nation of Israel. So this was the law. This was how God was to relate to Israel Well, what happened? Israel disobeyed God's law. They received judgment. So what would God do? He would send out the prophets. And what would the prophets say? Return back to God's law. Return back to God's law. Keep God's law. And so that was God's way of dealing with with Israel was through the law. And then Christ came on the scene. And Christ says, hey, guys, I want to tell you this. I haven't come to change the law, but I come to fulfill it. And until I fulfill the law... I don't want anybody to teach anything contrary. it's what he says in in Matthew chapter five. He says, until these things are fulfilled, I want you to to teach them. Now the coming of Christ didn't fulfill the law, but the death and resurrection of Christ fulfilled the law. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. He also received the curse of the law and for anybody who had broken God's law. And when he did that, that Christ died of the law and rose again from the dead, the law was rendered inoperative. So anybody who believes in Jesus is no longer under that conditional covenant. But now we're under a new covenant, as we'll see in chapter eight, this covenant called the covenant of grace, the new covenant. And through Christ, we don't fulfill this, we are partakers of it. It's gonna finally be fulfilled when Christ establishes his kingdom on earth and all Israel will be saved. But until then, we have our partakers in this new covenant and part of that blessing is the fact that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, permanent indwelling Holy Spirit, and we have a unique relationship with God through Christ. And that's what he says here. The law has been changed, right? There's, there's a change in order. It's evident through the fact that there's a new priesthood. And just as the law and Aaron's priesthood went together, they were inseparable. Even so, this new priesthood and the new covenant are inseparable, shows us that the new covenant is in effect. We are now following the laws of Christ. People say, well, wait a second. What about the Ten Commandments and those things? Well, nine of the Ten Commandments are reiterated in the New Testament. The only one that's not is the Sabbath command. And the reason is because that was a, you know, a sign to the nation of Israel. And so we're under this new law that, that was given to us by Christ his apostles, and his prophets. Many laws that we have under Christ are similar to what we have in the Old Testament, such as do not murder and do not steal. And the reason is because God is a moral God and his moral law never changes. It's the same before the law. It's the same under the law. It's the same after the law. And so it shouldn't surprise us that some of these commands that we see under the law you know, are also seen today in the New Testament through the teachings of the apostles. I point that out, because we're not to forsake the law. The law is still important. We're to, we're, you know, we're to still read it and study it because we can see our God and the fact that he's holy. We can learn more about him through his law. But then Paul says there's another reason why we use the law. The law is lawful if one uses it lawfully. The law is good if you use it lawfully. And he said in the way we use it is by using it to point others to Jesus. The fact that the law was pointing people to Jesus, the final fulfillment. And sacrifice. And so we have a better covenant, a better hope, a better relationship. We're blessed as believers. We have partaken, we have been able to partake in that blessing aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. We'll explore these things more as we talk about the new covenant in chapter eight. But for tonight, we're to leave with an encouragement that just like these believers, regardless of where you are, whether you're in a time of persecution a time of temptation, you know, a time of, of buffeting. The writer says, hey, don't look back. Don't look to religion. Don't even look to Judaism. But look forward to Jesus, who has the power of the end of his life, who's in heaven, who says, come boldly to me and receive my power. He's made this access for us through this new covenant. Amen.